This morning we're going to continue uh, our Advent series called Make Room for the Savior. Make Room for the Savior. And today this message is the last one for the Advent for us. And if you recall, Advent means coming, the arrival of someone notable, the arrival of a person or a thing or an event, Advent. And in the, the Christian faith, this is the first Advent, Jesus is coming as a baby in the flesh to earth and to deal with us. And the second Advent is his soon return. And we know that his second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, where his feet will touch down on the Mount of, of Olives. And, and just like he left, he's going to return one day to earth. And he will bind up Satan for a thousand years. You need to understand that. Uh, bind him up in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, will then set up his kingdom on earth. He will rule and reign with us. And it will be such a glorious time. You don't want to to miss that time. Prior, prior to this, we struggle. We face hard times and uh, sin abounds and war and rumor of war, right, takes place and a great famine and natural disturbances will take place as, as we go into times of tribulation or times of trouble. And I hate to paint any of that picture on, on a Christmas day where we're, ce- where we're celebrating the birth of Christ. But in, in a sense, it's setting up what's happening in Isaiah chapter 7, which is what we'll be looking at this morning. And while hard times are going to come our way, we know that there will be death, there will be destruction. The true king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords will reveal himself so powerfully, right, and miraculously and majestically. And eventually a sign is going to be given. And what a glorious time that's going to be. And his glory is going to shine. And the sovereignty of the Lord is going to shine forth and take place. Amen. And so John 16, 3, Jesus says, I have told you these things. Why? So that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. He says, I have overcome the world. And soon we'll learn of a special baby that is revealed. Amen. Jesus Christ in flesh, born of a virgin. And many will behold him and receive him and live. But others we know will reject the word of the Lord and deny him and face their judgment and punishment um, and loss. In this chapter of Isaiah, we're going to learn about a king, Ahaz, who is an evil king, rejects the Lord's Lord's help. And he was offered a sign, a sign from God. And he's going to reject that sign pridefully and sinfully. He says, I will not test the Lord in this. But he was more interested in his own personal agenda and uh, ways and so he doesn't receive help from the Lord and so through the Lord and the the prophet Isaiah um, he will address the house of David with this prophecy and with this miraculous birth this birth will come the birth of Jesus Christ that comes through a virgin birth Mary will be the mother of Jesus and and many will receive this gift the gift of salvation the gift of his love they will live and they will be saved But as we transition deeper into this Christmas story, we'll learn that there was no room for Jesus. There was no room in the end. Many people have no room in their home. And the Son of God will be rejected. And born in an area that was only fit for animals. He will come in poverty. He will humble himself from the throne in heaven. And he will take on flesh, that of a servant. And yet he was fully God. He was fully God, fully God and deity. This is an incredible story of God entering earth to dwell with us. And I can't imagine being the one who closed their door to the son of the living God, closed their door in their home to baby Jesus, God in flesh, the savior 
of the world has come. And so I've titled this message today, Open Up Your Home and Let Him In. Open up your home and let him in. So by now, maybe you have found Isaiah chapter 7. Um, I made reference to that. Isaiah chapter 7, we'll be looking at verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz and asked the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to a test. And Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. It's not enough to try the patience of men. Will you try the patience of of God also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows when he knows enough to re reject wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people on the house of your house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah and he will bring the king of Assyria. Hallelujah. The Lord's going to give a sign. Amen. And the Lord always gives us a chance. He gives us a sign. He gives us a chance. And regardless of what you have done, good or bad, regardless of what you have done in this world, and many pastors and leaders and ministers and people will reach out to you and try to get your attention. But it's actually God trying to get your attention in a sense of wealth. And so you need to open up your home and your hearts to King Jesus and the Savior of the world and be saved. Let's make room for the Savior. Father God, I pray for this word, O oh Lord. I pray blessings over it. I pray blessings over everyone that hears this word. Lord, open up our hearts and our eyes, our ears, our understanding to receive something from this word today. In the name of Jesus, you may be seated. Now let me give you some background that's leading up to this chapter 7 of Isaiah. In chapter 6, we learn that King Uzziah died, and he's going to be replaced by a son, his son, son Ahaz, right? He's a king now, and he's evil, and we know he's evil. But Uzziah was a good king, a very good king, a prosperous king, and there... There, the people got to enjoy that, right? Things were good. The, the people were enjoying the good times. And people started to experience the peace and joy and the comforts of, of life, right? The joy of living at peaceful times. Something about peaceful times. And they started to max and relax. And in a sense, they become comfortable and they become very complacent, right? And that's what starts happening. In chapter 6, Isaiah starts off... Uh, by saying in the year king that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory at the sound of their voices. The doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah then says, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined for a man, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now I won't go into all the details today in, in past messages, I have, I have dealt with this, but once Uzziah dies, who represented safety and security and peacetime, Isaiah now is able to see the Lord high and lifted up 
And it's very interesting that when comfort, when our comfort is gone, when it's gone and we face hard times and things um, that we counted on are now lost and gone and not going the way we expect, that God often shows up mightily in those situations and that we start to see him with more clarity. But the truth is he was there all the time. Amen. He was there all the time. We just didn't see him. We just didn't take notice of him. But he was there all the time. So now the king, the king Uzziah dies and Isaiah now sees the Lord high and lifted up. Hallelujah. But others still will not be moved by God. And even when conflict and things uh, come their way. And that's where we find King Ahaz today in the scripture. His heart was hardened to the things of God. Where it should have been. Um, where he should have been uh, seen and trusted God, right? He turns to man. He turns to self instead of turning to God. And he is now being confronted by two very powerful kings who were planning an attack. And he wanted to tear Judah apart. And they were going to march against him. And instead of him turning to God, he turns to man and he starts to plot and scheme and try to figure out how he's going to escape. And this is where it picks up in verse uh, in chapter 7 of verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was the king of Judah, and he reigned over the areas of Jerusalem, now King Rezin of Aram and Pekah of uh, Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they cannot overpower it. And now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, which is another name for Israel. And so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of a forest are shaken by the wind. And basically the southern kingdom, which included Jerusalem, which was under the control of Ahaz. And they're going to be attacked now by the northern kingdom, which for this particular battle is going to include Syria. Israel and Syria are going to join up and the king of peep the king and the people of Judah are frightened. Now this makes a lot of sense to me. I would be afraid too if a massive army is coming my way to attack me and knowing that this combined uh, these combined power and two kingdoms is about to attack me, but what happens if I heard from God? What happens if if the word of the Lord was given to me and he said they will not overpower you? Relax, chill out, stand, stand fast, right? Um, you'll be okay, do nothing. What would you do with that type of word? And I think that's what's happening here in the story of Ahaz. A word of the Lord is given through the prophet Isaiah. And the Lord said uh, to Isaiah, go, go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub, and we'll meet with Ahaz and are going to deliver this message. Tell them they will not succeed, that they will not overpower you. It will not take place. Now, again, this, is, this uh, should give Ahaz comfort, right? This should give him comfort, but it didn't. And so with this promise is also now going to come a warning and some parameters. And verse 9 says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Right now, if the promise didn't get your attention, will the warning get your attention? If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And that's a pretty strong word, church, I believe, as we're going to see more of this in a few moments. The Lord wants us to be safe and secure in him. But many people simply will reject the Lord. In doing so, they give up 
in many ways, their protection and their safety. There's no safer place or better place than being in the presence of the Lord, doing His will and operating in His service. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Hallelujah. And whatever comes our way, good or bad, His ways are best. Trust Him, rely on Him, follow Him, obey Him, right? His ways are always best and make the most sense, but not always to us. But they make the most sense. God will seek you. He will try to get your attention over and over again. He will try to help you and guide you and lead you. But in the end, he will not force you to serve him. That's what you have to understand. He will not force you to receive him, to serve him, to follow his ways. So I like to consider and speak about today how people reject the Lord and his signs. People reject the Lord and his signs. Verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz and said, Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord, your God, for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not. I will not put the Lord to a test. Imagine this. God is saying, ask. Ask anything of me from the depths of hell to the heights of heaven. Whatever you ask, ask. Right? I want you to ask. Ask for anything right now. Ask for a sign. But Ahaz won't be moved. He denies the Lord's word. And his answer might have seemed holy. His answer might even sound righteous. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 16 through 18, he says, Do not test the Lord your God. Be sure to keep the commands of, your, of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what's right and do good in the Lord's sight so that it might go well with you. And let me say this too. If God is asking something of you, do it. How simple is that? If God is asking something of you, do it. He wants, he wants this king to ask. In this case, he wants to prove to Ahaz that he's going to be his provider, his Jehovah Jireh. He's going to provide for him. He's going to protect him. He's going to keep him safe. And he told Ahaz, ask for a sign. Basically, I want to save you. But Ahaz is scared right now. And so he's not thinking clearly. And he'd rather trust himself or man rather than trusting God. And when you do that, you're making God out in a sense to be a liar. And you're not walking in faith. And the truth of God's word is not in your heart. Now, while Ahaz was an evil king and he was concerned, um, not really concerned with God's laws or decrees. He already closed the temple, stopped doing public sacrifices and, and observances. And he really wanted to simply just do his own thing. He didn't want to conform to the Lord and his ways. And so many people do this today, right? They do that. They're facing hard times. Things are not going uh, in their favor. Maybe fear has, has taken over, whatever it is. But, but do they turn to the Lord? So often, no. They just fight God. They deny God. They reject his love and goodness. And they try to do it all in their own power, all in their own efforts, all with their own methods, in their own timing. And things often will get tougher and tougher, not easier and easier. And by the way, Shear Jeshub, which is the name of Isaiah's son, and you might pronounce it a little differently, but it means a remnant will return. And I believe this is foreshadowing what's going to happen if Ahaz doesn't comply with God. He will be destroyed and a great number of people are going to, to be captured and removed from the land as well. But a remnant will return. A remnant will return is what's happening here. And again, the, the word of the Lord said, if Ahaz does not stand 
strong in his faith, he will not stand at all. And his people will suffer. And a remnant, only a remnant, is going to be left. And you read more, you can read more about this as about the about King Ahaz and the people suffering in 2 Chronicles verse 28. We learned that 120,000 of his soldiers are going to die. Over uh, um, it, it, the, the land is going to be plundered. Over 200,000 or 200,000 people are going to be taken captive. And, and, and the book of Kings talks about some of these things as well. So let me say this too. We must be careful of self-fulfilling prophecies where, we, where what we fear is the very thing that happens to come to pass. And some people focus on things like, oh, if I do this and that, I'm going to get sick, and, or this and that. And, and then they get sick, and they operate in fear, and they operate in worry. And I wonder at times how many people are operating just like Ahaz, in fear, where they deny God's word, they deny God's truth, and they don't operate in his faith. And then they proclaim things over their life, and then some of the, some, in a very strange way uh, and fashion, those things just come to pass. This is what I think is happening to King Ahaz. He did not place his faith in the Lord, but he placed his faith in man. And the very thing that he feared is what happened. He feared being overtaken by a great army and being destroyed. And eventually, that is exactly what's going to happen. But it happened through the Assyrians, right? Those that were supposed to save him, those that were supposed to protect him, those turned on him. And those are the ones that haunt him. And this is a warning for, I believe, leaders and pastors and government officials and really all of us to, to grasp and understand when we don't follow the Lord's will and ways, when we start operating mostly in fear, often hardship and heartache, not only come to us, but they come to the people that are with us and the people that we, we lead and we serve and we oversee. You need to understand that. So Isaiah the prophet, he, he's basically getting upset with King Ahab here. And, and since the king is not listening, Isaiah will speak now to the house of David in verse 13. Then Isaiah said, hear you, you house of David. It is not enough to try the patience of men. Will you try the patience of my God also? Notice that he said, try the patience of my God. He didn't say your God or our God. He said, my God, making a clear distinction that Ahaz is in a very bad place. And this is what could happen when people, when we have failed leaders, right? They won't listen to God's words. And I'll just tell you right now, a failed leader is one that's not following God's words. That's for sure. The people suffer for it. But God is, but God is generous and God is good and God loves us and he wants to save People, We have to understand that. And now we get to this beautiful, wonderful portion of Scripture in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, there has been, very, there has been so many controversies over this portion of skip, Scripture regarding the sign, regarding the virgin birth, regarding the baby. And we also, so we're going to come back to this in a, in a few more moments. Let's read verse 15. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will lay waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. 
Now this portion of, of scripture is speaking of a, a time of destruction. It's, it's not just hope. And it seems to be prophesying two periods, both, both near and far. And it, and it has caused great uh, debate. And so before we get into the hope of the world, the savior of the world, we see that there's hard times that, are, that have to be dealt with. And now King Ahaz makes a treaty or a pact with the king of Assyria who will come and rescue him and destroy these other two kings. But be careful of what you ask for, church. Be careful of who you, you hang out with. Be careful of who you're following, church, because the Assyrians, the Assyrians are going to turn on King Ahaz and destroy Judah and the city of Jerusalem. In fact, verse 18 says, In the day the Lord will whistle, whistle for flies from the distant streams of Egypt and for bees from the land of Assyria. They will come and settle in the, in, in the steep ravines and in the crevices and the rocks on the thorn of bushes and all the, the water holes. In that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the river, the king of Assyria, to shave your head and the hairs of your legs and to take off your, your, your beards also. In that day, a man will keep a, alive a young cow and, and two goats. And because of the abundance of the milk they gave, they give, he will have curds to eat. All who remain in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, every place where there were a thousand vines worth a thousand silver shekels, there will only be briars and thorns. Just I'm going to explain this in a second. Men will go there with bow and arrow, for the land will be covered with briars and thorns. And as for all the hills once cultivated by a hoe, you will no longer go there for fear of briars and thorns. And they will become a place where cattle are turned loose and where the sheep run. See, the people are destroyed. They're gone. They're taken away. They're captive. Over 200,000 people. So now the land is un unusable, unstable. It's not cultivated and it's hard to farm on it. And now the animals are running wild and the land's turned to briars and thorns. In fact, the Assyrians here, they're going to shave their enemies' beards and, and take a razor and shave their entire body, totally humiliating these people. The land will have so few people that it cannot be farmed so that only milk from cows and honey will be found and edible. Church, when God's hands of protection and provisions is gone from us or from a nation, the people will perish. People will suffer. And they will find themselves in great distress and great trouble. May, may God's hand be put back on America. Hallelujah. But thank God, and I really mean thank God, that he doesn't want to see us destroyed. And so he sends us a redeemer, a savior. Hallelujah. All we have to do is turn to him and trust him and obey him. Amen. Open our hearts and our home to him. And things will start to change. Let's jump back to this verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will, be, and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And I believe Matthew chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 explains Isaiah 7 with more clarity. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so we learn in Matthew uh, that Jesus is the baby that was prophesied about. And this word Emmanuel, we also learn from this, means God with us. 
How wonderful that is. God with us. That's a beautiful thing. God in flesh. Jesus comes to earth to dwell with us. What a beautiful story, church. And so many people follow their, their own God, right? Gods who are powerless. Gods that are, are, are distant, unable to do the miraculous. And yet they open up their homes and their hearts and their life, their businesses to, to these, these idols. We see them when we go into storefronts. We, we see them when we go into people's homes, the shrines, the statues, the, the, the signs. But those idols can't hear. Those idols can't see. Those idols cannot talk. They cannot think. They're made of wood and metal and, and stone. They're made by man. But the God we serve, the living God we serve, the creator God, the creator of the universe, the great I am, right? The God of creation always was, always will be. He was never, he was not created. He always existed, right? Always was, always will be. And he comes to earth to dwell with us. God with us, God in the flesh, dwelling with us, Emmanuel, God with us. He came in the form of baby. He came in the form of flesh. This is the incarnation, 100% God, 100% man. I say it all the time. It's a mystery. It's a miracle. And yet it's so true. Yes. Hallelujah. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it's very clear that Jesus is born of a virgin. It's miraculous. But Isaiah 7 verse 14 comes with some issues and, and some concerns for some people. And people have been debating this portion of scripture. Let me explain why. Maybe set, shed some light and hopefully not much more confusion. First prophecy is often overlooked. It, it's, it's history being told in advance, generally. But it's not always the case, right? And so prophecy can be broken down, I believe, into two camps. It can be forthtelling and foretelling. And so when it's prophetic in nature, it's forthtelling, bringing forth. It's bringing forth a word, a message, right? Uh, prescriptive. It's speaking a truth of God uh, for today, for this time, not, not for some, some future time. It simply strengthens and edifies and comforts and exhorts and, and, and encourages. Now, foretelling is predictive in its nature. It's telling history in advance and it will describe something that's going to happen again to edify exhort to comfort something in the future and after that event happens and if that event is fulfilled it often pr produces uh, praises to God hallelujah we believe that word it's glorious right especially for those who are blessed from that word but when it comes to a warning and it's not heated that word is not heated well that becomes a very different story. And when it warns you to repent, when it warns you to change your direction and change your course of action, and you stay steady and you refuse to listen and trust His word, well, heartache and trouble and judgment comes your way. And we learned that, that King Ahaz did not receive the prophetic word from Isaiah, who was a messenger from God, and it resulted in pain and suffering, not only for him, but for the people that he oversaw, the people that he led. Now, sometimes Bible prophecy is written in a way that we can view it from afar or, or close. And Harry recently reminded me of, of viewing prophecy like looking at two mountains. Me and Harry hang out now and then. I love you, Harry. Merry Christmas. One close and one afar. 
Don't feel like you're left out too. I love you all, but, but Harry, Harry has a special place in my heart for sure, amen? One close and one far off, um, you know, two mountains, both, both off yonder, right? It could take a week's work, a walk, a, a, a days, or weeks, and a long time to get there, sometimes many, many years. And while you're viewing them, at the same time, you see them off. You, you, you understand that you're walking to one mountain at a time. And First Peter chapter 1, verse 12 says it this way. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. So the prophets and, and Bible writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit spoke words, said things, spoke words, that, things that did not, they did not always understand. And they didn't understand the timing of things either. And some of it was immediately seen and some of it uh, was seen years later, right? Decades later, centuries later. For example, when we think of Advent, what comes to your mind when we think of Advent? Advent, do we think about Jesus coming to earth? But do you think about the first Advent? Do you think about the second Advent? A time, um, at many times, uh, this can be confusing. Which, which, which Advent are we talking about? And then when you add the rapturing of the saints into this, when he returns for them and he has a meeting in the air and, and he comes back for his bride, for his church, and, and he has a meeting in the air and takes people to heaven, that gets confused with the second coming of Christ as well. And so I think chapter 7 of Isaiah is like that in many ways. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will, will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. It's possible to view this prophecy looking at near time and far time. And some believe that a child was born of a virgin. And I'll explain this further in a few moments. But maybe a child was going to be born to Isaiah or Hezekiah or to someone else during that time period. Uh, and then he reaches, by the time he reaches that age of accountability, that age where he knows right or wrong, good or evil, which some suggest is age 7, and, and some others will suggest that it's 12 and 13 years old, the age of accountability, and that this prophecy will then be fulfilled in that time period. And with this view in mind, let's read some of the following verses, chapter 16, uh, verse 16. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the kings of Assyria. And so some people believe that this prophecy is going to be fulfilled around 12 to 13 years later. And a virgin, in this case, would have been a young woman who was a virgin when she got married and then would have naturally conceived and had a son named Emmanuel. And about 12, 13 years later, the destruction of both Pekah and uh, Rezin will take place. And those were the names that were mentioned just a little bit earlier in this chapter. And they will be destroyed. Now some commentaries suggest this, especially those that mock the Holy Spirit or mock Bible prophecy. They don't believe that a virgin birth is possible to be possible, as stated in Matthew 1 verse 23 and other places in the Bible. So they view Isaiah chapter 7 with this in mind. But when you read or you hear Bible prophecy, again, some will, sometimes we need to look at it like viewing two mountains. 
And sometimes the timelines and even the events that are spoken about are not so clear and, and they're spoken about sometimes in the same paragraphs and sentences and this can be confusing. But that doesn't make it false. That doesn't make it untrue. And so we study God's word to learn about his, more about him and what's happening. And so that is one view and it may be prophetic in the short view of the destruction of those who are up against Judah. Now, just a, another quick example of Bible prophecy that we find in that same chapter. Verse 8 tells us, again, a prophetic word in that same chapter, looking out 65 years. Verse 8, for the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. Historically, this prediction and Prophecy comes true and the Assyrians not only destroy them, but 65 years later, these people were insignificant in a, in a sense. By the way, Bible prophecy is laser accurate. That's what you have to understand, church. It's laser accurate. accurate. We, just, we just often don't understand the accuracy of it. And centuries later, um, we're still seeing God's words holding up to Bible prophecy. That's amazing to me. As they discover new artifacts, as they discover historical events, they discover how accurate the Bible actually is and will continue to be accurate because it is God's words to us. Hallelujah. Amen. We know that every word from God, every promise from God will come to pass just like he said. In fact, some scholars believe there are more than 300 Bible prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Peter Stoner, uh, who was the chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena College and passionate about Bible prophecy, took eight specific prophecies about Jesus, not 300, but eight prophecies, and came up with a number that is so mind-blowing for anyone, one person to satisfy only eight 300, only eight prophecies uh, had to be fulfilled. And then this number was one in 10 to the 17th power. Wow, where's my math teacher here? One to the 10th, 17th power. That is a huge number. Go see him if you want to try to figure it out. Honestly, I did not even try to figure this number out. But you can look up Peter Stoner and read read about the Bible prophecy. And you'll, you'll see these figures for yourself. And, and remember, there were three. Over 300 prophecies to Jesus the Messiah. But, but he only touched on eight of them about his birth, about his ministry, about his death and resurrection and the role of Jesus in the church. Eight! Over 300. This is mind-blowing, church. Mind-blowing. And this study and the numbers, incredible. And then add general Bible prophecy. That's above that. Just Bible prophecy in general, which includes other historic events. These numbers are, get even more wild. How can people not believe the Bible is what I'm trying to say? How can this be spoken thousands of years in advance and be so laser accurate, 100% accurate every time, every, every time? God's words to us will be fulfilled. You can have confidence in that. Yes. Hallelujah. All this to say, Bible prophecy has been proven so accurate. Everyone's going to be passed because they're ordained by God. Verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, when we start to search and research this word virgin, there are different usages of this, this word. But from scripture, it's very clear from scripture that this usage, this word, that it was a young woman who never consummated a relationship. And when you look at Bible prophecy in view of a close or near mountain view, it could be one which, who eventually gets pregnant and his son, and they call him Emmanuel. But when we view it, it could be possible, but when we view it at afar, further out into a distance, clearly it's about the birth of Jesus Christ. It's so clear to me, it's, it's so miraculous to me. It's so like, how can you miss this Mary, who was a virgin, a young woman, and today we would call her, today in our society, we'll call her a young girl, maybe 14 or 15 years old, and she got pregnant, and, and we don't really know her true age, but we know that the customs of that day, they got married much younger than, than people do today. But the main point is this, that she was a virgin, never had union with her husband until after Jesus was born. This was a supernatural pregnancy, not a natural pregnancy, of a virgin girl. This was no ordinary baby, and it was no ordinary birth. And while King Ahaz rejects the Lord, and his sign, Mary will receive Jesus and the sign. Yes. Receive the Lord and his sign. And we look at scripture, in light of scripture, this miraculous virgin birth makes so much more sense. Matthew 1 verse 23, the virgin will be, will, will be with child, will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what church? God with us. In fact, chapter 1 of Matthew um, verse 18 says it this way. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. This blows Joseph's mind. Let's be real here for a second. This blows Joseph's mind. Imagine that you're about to marry this girl, right? The love of your life, the, the girl of your dreams. And you've been waiting for days for this time, maybe months for this time, maybe even years. And finally, this day is drawing close and coming closer. And, the, and she just took a summer break and, and went to see her, went to see family, right? And, and maybe a short vacation or whatever it might be. And then she gained some weight. And she seems to be a little bit pregnant. You're like... Whoa, no way. This is impossible. This is called pregnancy. This is no virgin birth. And, and yet, basically, this is how the story is told. The impossible happened. She was a virgin. And her child will be deity. Her child will be the son of the living God. And because this was so strange, because this was so, in a way, unbelievable, Joseph himself had an angelic visitation to confirm what was happening. I think I would need an angelic uh, confirmation as well. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is unbelievable, yet it's true. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, Joseph considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to make Mary as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from where? The Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Wow. This is an incredible story, church. Verse 22 then says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. 
The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. What a great line there. Do what you are commanded in the name of Jesus, as Jesus leads and guides you, and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, more of the details of the story can be found in Scripture. And so, for example, Luke chapter 1, an angel visited Mary as well and, and said to her in verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And verse 35 says, the angel said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May it be to me, may it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Now I love the fact that Mary was given a sign, and she was told that Elizabeth, her relative, was going to have a child in her old age. And that happened just as the word of God said. How beautiful is scripture, it's amazing. Mary received the word from an angel and said, may it be to me as you have said. Now I want, to know, I want you to notice from the story that Ahaz was given a word from the Lord, rejected it, rejected his son. Mary was given a word from the Lord and she receives it. How beautiful. And at times the Lord will reach out to you in various ways, through different people, through, through different methods. But in the end, I think the question might still be the same for you. Will you believe and receive the word of the Lord or will you reject it? And at times the Lord is going to give you opportunities to allow him into your heart and into your home. Again, what will you do? Will you reject him? Will you receive him? In Luke chapter 2, we learned that many of the family and people had an opportunity to allow Mary and Joseph in, which meant Jesus was going to be born in their, in their home or their place. And yet they were rejected and he was rejected, right? They did not let him in. And let's read Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judah to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the lion of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, they came to the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her, her, her firstborn, to her, to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Can you imagine the Savior of the world knocking at your door, and you turn him away? Can you imagine being given a chance to enter his presence, to follow him, to serve him, to live for him, to love him, to be blessed by him, and you turn him away, and you deny him, and you deny that love, and you reject him, you turn him away. You have no room for the Savior of the world. How many times does God patiently and lovingly try to get your attention, try to get you to turn to him and to receive him, let your hearts and homes be open to him. He gives us signs and he brings in friends and family and members and pastors and prophets and neighbors and leaders and ministers proclaiming the goodness of Christ, proclaiming his words, right? And yet people still reject him. 
and turn them away. And at times it's hard to see and even deal with what happens because people get angry with you these days. Very often dislike you for bringing this truth out. How dare you bring out this truth? How dare you say Jesus is the only way? He's the son of the living God. In some places around the world, they will stone you for saying that. They want to kill you and murder you for bringing a gospel message. Forget bringing this Christmas message. Emmanuel, God with you. God in flesh. How dare you do that? God in human form. So at times you will be mistreated. Why? Because you believe in this story. You believe in this love story of Jesus Christ. And all you want to do, all you want to do, all you want for them is for them to hear the story and receive your, your Jesus as well and have them open up their home and their heart too. That's all you want. Understand this today, that the message of Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, was prophesied long before it ever came to be. Over and over again, the Bible prophecy is laser sharp and accurate. And while we might and probably will be mocked and ridiculed, maybe even mistreated for believing this word, it doesn't make this story any less truthful. So stay steady and stay the course, church. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and He loves every one of us so deeply. Hallelujah. He wants you to, oh yeah, come on, you can do that. Go ahead. <laughs> he wants us to open up our, our heart and our home to Him. Let Him in. Would you just stand with me? Uh, for the next few moments, nobody looking around and just reflecting on the story just a little bit longer. And understand that today's message is a message of love, a message of hope. It's not a message of, of judgment and condemnation. So many people don't understand the God, that God is with us, that He's for us, that He loves us, that He came to save us, to receive us. To save us from hell, banishment from his presence, and judgment. They don't believe the story. They don't believe the signs. They don't believe Bible prophecy or the Holy Scriptures that are, are God's words to us. Therefore, they reject Jesus Christ, the only one that can save them. They reject Jesus Christ and their hearts and their homes are not open to the Savior. So pray for them, church. Because God wants to reach them through various ways and, and through various proclamation, right? But they simply don't understand uh, why not. And the Bible clearly tells us for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so have patience with them. Model Christ in all that you do. Model Christ in your life, in your words, in your actions. And if, and if you're listening to this message here and, and really at, at home or wherever you might be listening to it, right? If you're touched by this story, if you're touched by baby Jesus in some way, know that he came for you. He came and entered this earth and this planet for you because he loves you. And know this, he came for you, loves you so dearly. If you place your trust and your faith in him and are willing to serve him and him alone, he will save you. He will rescue you. He will change your heart and your home. I believe that can be a guarantee. So invite him in. Simply speak to him from your heart today. Invite him into your life. Repent for your sins, which means stop doing what's wrong. Stop doing what is right. And when you mess up, get up and turn back towards him. That's repenting. Turning away from the wrong and turning to him. It's not just turning away from it. 
but it's consciously and purposely turning towards him. If you do this or something like this today, I believe you will be saved. Open up your heart to him. If you made that decision now or sometime this week, call us, call a friend, a family member, tell them that you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Don't live another day without the Savior. And then go live for him from this day on for eternity. I want to just close with these few scripture verses from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 10 and 12, and He was in the world. And though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Let's put Christ back into Christmas, right? Into the Christmas story, the Christmas message. It's all about Jesus, who is God. It's a love story, a gift from God. Let's continue to make room for the Savior in our hearts, in our home, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen.